was walking around ground. Here I go. <laughs> it's a downhill from here. Here I go. Here I go. Here I go. I'm fucking up. Fucking up my own show. I'll be in a studio. Studio. Whoa. Oh, in a studio. Studio. Oh, in the studio. Studio. I'll be in a studio. Will walked in while I was singing to my camera. Oh, you were singing to your girl? I said, I'll be in a studio. <laughs> Hi, I'm Aura Van Denk. Welcome back again and again and a motherfucking again to Murder's a Drag. I am glowing different. I'm in motherfucking California and I never want to go back to North Carolina because it is the Bible Belt and I don't prefer belts. Let's not start off the vibe like that. I'm out here doing California girl stuff, driving around. It looks like uh, like motherfucking Real Housewives of LA transition scene everywhere. It's great. I just hear the music in my head. It's like in the downtown of LA, and you're walking around. It's really great in the LA. It's pretty great. Not gonna lie. I hope you guys liked last week's interview style. Felt a little messy for me personally, editing-wise. Uh, but I hope it came out okay for uh, your end. It was a rough week, cut me some slack, okay? Okay. I've been writing lots of speeches for my public speaking class online, which is, yes, just as fucking weird as you would think it is to be in a public speaking class online. And I'm writing them about trans rights and LGBTQ hate crime law statutes and policy that exists or doesn't exist in states like North Carolina who doesn't have anything, and South Carolina who has zero hate crime laws regarding anybody or anything. Hate crimes just don't exist in South Carolina, and you should know that. However, these speeches that I've been writing have definitely you know, reinvigorated my research passion to get these crimes vocalized and out there on my platform and as many platforms as I can get it. So get ready for some passionate aura action. Arthur J.R. Warren was born in 1974 in a very small hospital in a place called Morgantown, West Virginia, which is one of the bigger towns, believe it or not, in West Virginia because it's home to West Virginia University. So there's a lot of college students. It's a little more liberal. However, he didn't get the pleasure of being able to grow up in Morgantown. And I use the word pleasure very loosely. After he was born, his mother, Brenda Warren, and father, Arthur Warren Sr., moved to a small area called Pawpaw Street, cutely enough, in a smaller town called Grant Town, West Virginia, which was very heavily segregated. The local racisty white people used to call that street, Pawpaw Street, Black Bottom, very creatively because it was at the bottom of a hill and that's where all of the town's black residents lived. So if that doesn't give you an idea of the climate, I'm not sure how else to give it to you. Arthur grew up attending the Mount Bola Baptist Church, and for those of you who don't know, Baptist churches are not the most keen on homosexuals. They're very strict in their beliefs that you go against the book, you burn in hell. It's pretty much the logic with them. Therefore, when he started to discover that he identified as a gay male, that rift between his church family and his biological family was created and he was left feeling like there was nobody to turn to. So Arthur was taught from the very jump after he came out to hide who he was at all costs and not let anybody in on his life. Don't let them know that he was gay. Don't let them know that he was different. Just go with the flow and lay low. So he was being taught to suppress and repress, which is not healthy, but I don't think I need to say that. I'd like to share that I'm doing my makeup with three makeup brushes because I don't know where my other ones are and I am in California. So this is kind of like a challenge video. I don't even have a powder poof, so wish me 
fuck? At his service after he passed away, Reverend Nelson Staples III was quoted saying, There are people who wrestle with their sexual orientation. If you've never had to wrestle, if you've never had to weep because you feel one thing and the book says another thing, you don't know. I thought that was really, really touching coming from not only a pastor and priest, but a pastor at a Baptist church. That's really, really rare. And it's in West Virginia. So to see an open mind like that and to hear an open mind like that speak what they feel is really refreshing and is definitely something positive to take away from this case. But the rest of it, not so much. One thing that a lot of people never realized about Arthur was that he had a learning disability and was developmentally disabled and also had a disability and deformity that caused his hand to be missing a few fingers. So he looked different and acted different and it was really hard for him to fit in anywhere, let alone in a conservative place like West Virginia. He didn't have an easy time. He had issues with making friends, he had a lot of social anxiety, he wasn't the best at noticing social cues, so he would often be the butt of jokes among his friends and not realize it, or be taken advantage of and not realize it. And being that black, queer, disabled man that he was living in a town of a small-minded 400 people, he had a healthy amount of fear, but that wasn't enough to save him. So, sort of on that note, Arthur made a few friends in high school who, in typical high school fashion, were not the best crowd to hang around with, and by all accounts, locally and from their family, were big troublemakers. So being a shy, withdrawn, kind-hearted guy that Arthur was, he was easily drawn into that crowd of big personalities because he felt like he had a place of friends that were gonna get him more friends and show him parties and show him people and he would be able to socialize because that was his biggest struggle. One of the very many shallow reasons that the boys made friends with Arthur was his easy accessibility to the popularly abused anti-anxiety drug Xanax. The boys used to invite him over to hang out under the circumstance that he bring them Xanax. So he basically had to buy their friendship with his medicine. So the boys would ask him to bring Xanax with him when he would go to hang out. They'd crush it up and snort it because apparently that's stronger and hits them faster. God knows. That's what they do and it's not good. It's a cocktail of destruction, essentially. It's one of the worst drugs that people can abuse. It's terribly addictive, should not be used, honestly, at all. Uh, but it is, and it's a problem. And as if these boys using him for his medication wasn't enough, he also suffered a lot of racism from the local police and was once told that he wasn't allowed, as an adult, to walk around his own town. So clearly to me that tells me somebody called in a complaint because they saw a black guy walking around, they got uncomfortable, and it's West Virginia, so they were on the whitey side. Yeah. His mother allegedly told him at that point that he's an adult and he's allowed to do whatever the fuck he wants to and that nobody can tell him otherwise. But that did put a healthy amount of fear into mom because now she knows her son is a target, not only from the people who live there, but the people who work there to protect and serve. But like I said, Arthur wasn't the type to really realize that he was getting bullied or being targeted or taken advantage of because of his learning disability and his developmental disorders. and that really made him very vulnerable. And it's even reported that those friends that he would hang out with would call him a queer and would call him a faggot to the face and not, you know, that never caused a problem in their friendship. He felt like he didn't have any other option. And being where he was, I, that probably was the case. And that is, depressingly enough, very common in Southern gay communities because there are no other options and you will put up with an ungodly amount of insensitivity and homophobia and shit in general 
just to have some semblance of fitting in or acceptance because you just don't get that in the South. It's just not, just not there. It's not the common vibe. A lot of the times it's that feeling that leads these people to get involved in drugs, whether that's abusing them, selling them, or being the one with them because anybody with drugs is friends to an addict. And that was the majority of the population in his town, in his area. So in order to have friends, he needed to be able to supply or have something to do with drugs. So Arthur figured that's the quickest way to make friends. It keeps people around and he already had easy access to the pills. So why not, essentially? Most people in West Virginia walk around because it's the easiest way of transportation for them, save for the steep inclines and being on a mountain. They're used to that, so they walk around because their towns are fairly small, just a few miles across, and they know everybody, so that's their main mode of transformation. Nope. Main mode of transportation, yeah. Okay, let's try that one more time. That was their main mode of transportation, including for Arthur. And on a warm 4th of July evening in 2000, that is what Arthur was doing. Around 11.30 p.m., Arthur told his mother that he was leaving and he was gonna go walk around to see the fireworks, and she reminded him to come back at 12.30, that was his curfew, and that was that. That was the last time she saw him alive, and he began his walk that night. Shortly after his walk toward town began, he came across the boys, his friends, hanging out in one of their garages. Uh, they were working on some abandoned house, painting it or something. I don't know, the whole thing sounded very West Virginia, but it was something that he was used to, coming across an abandoned house, seeing his buds hanging out. So, he went over there, and they had requested that he bring cigarettes and his Xanax pills, so he brought both of those things, the boys, were over there, huffing gasoline like champs. Admittedly, I am not making that up, and they still wanted Xanax because I guess huffing gasoline wasn't enough. This is West Virginia, come on, we gotta go extreme. So Arthur came, brought them his Xanax, and shit got real fucking wild real fast because they were huffing gasoline and snorting Xanax, so. So if you haven't guessed by my short description, all of those drugs that they took together made them very irritable, very fucked up in general, on like high, like drunk, like fucked up on drugs, kind of fucked up. And David Park, one of the main aggressors of the situation, started accusing Arthur of spreading rumors that he and David had slept together at some point, which was completely drug-fueled because Arthur would not have slept with those boys because they were younger than him, and that is just not the type of guy that Arthur was, and he was legitimately just friends with them because he wanted friends, and they were using him for drugs. But they knew he was gay, so I'm sure that that was always in the back of their minds as, like, ammo if he ever fucked with them. And that night, David decided to pull that card and start a fight while everybody was on drugs, and huffing gasoline, so it wasn't the most opportune time. So that argument starts to ensue. It's brought down pretty quickly by the other boys who kind of play mediator, because I guess they're still sober enough, and the tempers come down, and David and Arthur go into another room, leaving the other two boys unattended on drugs out there. When they come back out of the room, Arthur's missing $20 from his wallet and his cigarette lighter. It's very clear that those boys are now just fucking with him, bullying him, being dicks to him. And he accuses them of it, and he calls them out for it, and then they get into another fight about that. That's when David calls Arthur a dumb n-word, 
and starts kicking him with his steel toe boot. Arthur falls to the floor and there's punches being thrown. David's kicking him. Jared Wilson, who is also 17 at the time, changes into steel toe boots so that he can also join in on the kicking, punching, stomping assault of this poor disabled man that they've decided to murder at this point. And Jared, I can't get these fucking white guys' names right because they Jason, Jared, and David. It's the most white fucking names I've ever heard. Is this the goddamn Bible? What am I what am I reading? Jason Shoemaker, who's 15 at the time, is in the front room of the house when he sees a bloodied, beaten Arthur be thrown onto the floor in the front of the room. The assault continues out onto the porch of the home where the assault gets worse until David announces, I think I cracked his skull. Someone call 911. Jason claimed that this sight nauseated him so much that he ran to the bathroom to vomit and therefore had nothing to do with the rest of the events of that night, which sounds really sketchy to me, and he was 15, so I'm sure his lawyer said, like, say this and you'll get off with no charges, and, I mean, spoiler alert, that's kind of what happens. The other boys quickly dropped the idea of calling 911 because they had just done a murder, so they decided instead that they needed to cover up what had happened, and David threw Arthur into the back of his red Chevy Camaro, really shitty one. They began to drive with Jason, Jared, and David all in the car, all part of this crime. What they didn't realize at that point was that Arthur was not dead and he was attempting to crawl from the trunk into the back seat of the Camaro, to which Jared responded by kicking again and pushing him back into the trunk. All the while, Arthur was pleading, are you taking me home? Please just take me home. So these boys had more than enough time to take him home. They knew he wasn't dead, but instead they decided to go further and kill him. David stopped the car on a one-lane bridge in a remote area and had Jared help him unload Arthur from the vehicle, place him on the road in front of the car, where David got back into the car and drove over Arthur's body four times until he was dead. The boys returned to the abandoned house at 101 View Avenue and continued huffing gasoline and getting fucked up. And they burned the clothes that they were wearing because they were trying to cover up what they had done and made a pact for nobody to say anything, but that is not what happened. Early morning on July 5th, a newspaper delivery person on their route found Arthur's body lying in the road and called the police, who initially flagged it as a suspicious hit and run, but did flag it as a hit and run, which was most likely what the boys were trying to do when they chose that method. That day, Jason couldn't keep quiet about all the things he saw. Mind you, Jason is the 15-year-old in the situation, and he called his mom at her job as a nurse at Ruby Memorial Hospital and told her that him and his friends had killed somebody last night and that they left him in the street. Jared's mother called the police immediately and let them know what happened. <clears throat> so they quickly turned their suspicious hit and run investigation into a homicide investigation and they already had all three suspects. By late July of 2000, all three boys were behind bars for the murder of the 26-year-old Arthur Warren. Thanks only to the confession of 15-year-old Jason. I know I'm mixing up Jason and Jared's name a lot in this, but you know what? It really doesn't fucking matter because all three of them killed him and who confessed? It was the young one. For that confession, Jason was tried as a juvenile and only charged with accessory after the fact, which doesn't make any sense because that's not what happened, but go off justice system. Nonetheless, Arthur's father, Arthur Sr., as the good Christian man he was, found forgiveness in his heart for that boy and said, We're grateful to the boy who's confessed. He's got my forgiveness. Which makes me feel like Arthur's mother did not feel the same way about that whole situation. 
Her head was obviously spinning because this was an exact fear that she had had from the very beginning and she knew that Arthur had had run-ins previously with high school students. There was this one time that he had pulled up to a red light and he was known around town as the gay disabled black guy and some kid just ran up to his window and punched him in the side of the head like it was awful the stuff that he went through he was assaulted he was harassed constantly he didn't there was no way for him to live a normal life in grant town west virginia and there was also no way for him to get out he had never brought a, a man home though so his mom was never really worried about the pda getting him killed she was just more worried about him being a visibly queer different person she knew that that wasn't accepted where he lived and that there was already problems with people not liking him for who he was. Arthur was also a part of a gay community group and had confided the story of when he was assaulted with them and that's sort of how his mother found out and it's a small comfort to know that he at least had that support group while he was alive. When all was said and done, David Parker had pled guilty to first-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison and still stays there even after trying to get parole back in 2016 he was denied and Jared Wilson, the other 17-year-old, was sentenced to 20 years in prison for second-degree murder. I guess he's still there. We couldn't find any release records. They held an open casket funeral service because of how brutal Arthur's death was. His family said that they wanted everyone to see what those boys had done to him. And in the coffin, his head was so swollen from being run over by a car that it looked like there was some sort of water balloon placed under his skin. It was very powerful to see just how evil people can be. The tragedy that Arthur and his family went through has left a huge scar on the small community there, and it's palpable. In interviews, it's palpable. In the news reportings of it, it's... People are very clearly traumatized. The whole community is traumatized because of what happened, but especially Arthur's family. At a memorial service earlier this year, Audra Warren, Arthur's little sister who was only 16 at the time that her brother was murdered, made a very touching statement when she said, it's important to remember what happened to my brother, especially considering the climate that we're in today. If we all come together in unity and support one another, I think not only will we be able to learn things from the past, but we'll be able to prevent things from continuing to happen in the future. Love is the most important thing. Arthur J.R. Warren will certainly, above all else, be loved and remembered. And of most of the people that I've researched will absolutely rest in power. That means it's time for Transformation Magic Mama, and we'll be back about it. And that's the finished look for this week's episode. And you know what? I look fucking cool at Adore Delano. Same nails, probably the same dress, definitely the same hair, but in a different order, in a different look. You're surprised. I'm surprised. I didn't think I was going to look like this. You didn't think I was going to look like this. Is this wig barely sitting on my head because I like it like that? Fucking yeah, it is. It, it really is, because I'm in California, and that's how we do things out here now, apparently. I hope you guys enjoyed me in this setting. I hope you guys learned something, really fucking learned something about J.R. Warren. His story's not told often enough. 
He was a queer black man living in West Virginia, murdered for being who he was, brutally. And nobody wanted to listen to that. They all focused on the drugs, they all focused on the drama, the rumors, everything surrounding it. They wouldn't focus on who he was. And there's still so little information about who he was. And I hope that I can help to provide just that much more information when you're researching or when you're trying to look up information about him. Because his story is just as important as any other fucking story out there. That's why I do this. And that's why I will continue to do this. Follow me on my social media, at Aura Van Dank, at Murders a Drag. Keep up to date on new episodes. They're weekly, Thursdays, maybe sometimes Fridays. Who knows? We're very lax over here, man. We do what we gotta do to get by. I am still producing myself, so that does take a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? We're still doing it all by ourselves. We're grinding. I'm actually still a student online in school, so I'm still actively working towards my degree. Finished in December, and you know what? Happy about it. Ready to go, ready to move, ready to be who I be. Uh, I will see you guys next week. Mwah.